The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your top five at five. G7 nations reach an historic deal on global tax reform, backing a global minimum corporate tax rate, or at least 15 percent with exceptions. Infrastructure ahead, the White House making a fresh push for a deal as soon as this week, with or without support from colleagues across the aisle. Too hot to handle, investors keeping a close eye on inflation with a key data point due out this week. Enough to move the needle on tightening at the Fed, that's the big question. And speaking of rising prices, ARK Invest Kathy Wood has a fresh take that takes the heat off U.S. consumers. But alarms should be going off around the world, we will explain. And pulling the plug, Elon Musk grabbing plans for a souped-up Model S. It is Monday, June 7, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. And good morning, everyone. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan at this hour. Here's how your money and global markets are setting up the day. Stock futures are slightly lower, but stocks did end the week in the green. In fact, the Nasdaq and Nasdaq 100 are coming off a three-week winning streak. Sector check, you'll find that financials and consumer staples are currently trading at record highs. To the bond market, we'll look at where the 10-year yield is trading at. It was at 1.6% on Friday right now, just below that at 1.57%. The energy market really grabbing the attention of investors crude at its highest level since October of 2018. Right now, we're slightly lower in negative, negative territory. WTI crude just below $70 a barrel at 69.10 and ice brand crude above that at 71.32. Your morning crypto check. Bitcoin has been all over the place, facing fresh pressure this weekend on news of a crackdown in China again. Right now, though, we're looking at Bitcoin at 36,131 up just about 1%. The meme stocks, which really got a lot of attention last week, we are monitoring those names like AMC, which currently is up 5.6% in extended trade. Uh, GameStop up about 1.3%. So still seeing a lot of these names traded, uh, getting a lot of attention, I should say. Around the world, stocks in Asia, you'll see that India is actually at a record high. The Shanghai Composite closing higher by two-tenths of 1%. And the Japanese Nikkei currently at up about three-tenths of one percent. And I was just mentioning in India, stocks there inching higher and near records as COVID cases ease off their recent highs. The Bombay Sensex up, up about a half a percent. In Europe, just getting started with trading there, stocks have been really trading in record high territory for the last couple of days, and they're currently in the green. To this Monday's morning top story, the G7 reaching an historic deal over a global minimum corporate tax rate. The group of seven countries, which includes the UK, Germany, Japan and the US, has backed an agreement to set a minimum tax rate on earnings around the world. Jumana Bersetchi joins us now from London on the latest. Jumana. 
Morning, Seema. That's right. So G7 finance ministers have backed a proposal for a global minimum corporation tax of at least 15%. The breakthrough also allows for companies to be taxed on where their sales are, not just where they have a physical presence. So obviously, that's going to have a huge implications for some of the big tech companies, the multinationals. But the Facebook's Vice, uh, Vice President of Global Affairs, Nick Clegg, said the proposal is a, quote, significant first step. In a statement to CNBC, a Google spokesman also said the company hoped for a balanced and durable agreement. And also, the UK Chancellor Rishi Sunak welcomed the deal, saying it would lead to a modernization of the global tax system. After years of discussion, G7 finance ministers have reached a historic agreement to reform the global tax system, to make it fit for the global digital age, but crucially to make sure that it's fair, so that the right companies pay the right tax in the right places. Worth noting here that obviously the G7 was being held in London, so that's why we heard those comments from Chancellor Rishi Sunak. A milestone as far as G7 is concerned. Next thing to watch out for will be the G20 summit that takes place in Italy in July. But uh, the bigger hope from G7 finance ministers is that this broader tax, uh, corporation tax, will be taken up by not just the G7 and G20, but ultimately by the OECD. The U.S. obviously are pushing for this proposal to completely replace the OECD proposals for digital tax. Remains to be seen how this is all going to play out, but certainly a big development from a tax perspective will have huge implications for the international tax system, Seema. Certainly, and I guess one question there, I mean, if countries do in fact, agree to a 15 percent tax rate, Jumana. I assume nations like France, for example, are expected to lift that digital services tax that they imposed on big tech companies uh, here in the U.S. Exactly. And that is what the U.S. is pushing for. Uh, but also worth bearing in mind that that 15 percent number is actually lower than many, what, many of what these advanced nations already have. And actually, CNBC.com, we're running a good article on global corporation tax rates. One country people are very focused on is Ireland. The corporation tax rate there is 12 and a half percentage points. We know that Ireland is, uh, has the headquarters of many of these global tech multinational companies who are headquartered there. So the announcement was met with a little bit of a lukewarm response out of the Irish finance minister over the weekend, Pascal Donahoe. He's saying they're willing to look at the proposals, but based on their own estimates, the country could stand to lose as much as 2 billion euros in revenue per year. So again, a big question is whether or not this actual proposal will be adopted by broader countries, not just in G7, but also within the EU, Simo. Yeah, big uh, questions there around tax haven countries like Ireland. Jamana, thank you for bringing us the latest. Jamana Bersecci. Back home here, the U.S. future is sliding here at this hour. Wall Street's favorite target in recent months, Kathy Wood, out with some new comments over the weekend, weighing in on everything from the oil market, real estate, crypto and equities. From her weekend video, Wood says Bitcoin is weather its current correction well despite the recent, quote, indigestion in the market stemming from Elon Musk tweets on stock. She says the bull market is alive and well and cyclical sectors which have done well as of late are due for a pullback. With inflation, Wood says it's not a problem in the U.S., but internationally, emerging markets, currencies, especially in unstable regimes, especially, uh, could become more of a problem. Joining me now, Hightower Chief Investment Strategist and CNBC contributor Stephanie Link. Stephanie, thank you for joining us today and good morning to you. Good morning. 
Inflation seems to be the big data point that investors will be focused on this week. And we saw that massive move in the month of April. And every economist, really, from J.P. Morgan to BTIG, Goldman Sachs over the weekend saying that this is the number one data point to watch. What are you expecting and how do you think investors will respond? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and it is top of mind. Inflation is definitely out there, right? I think that some is transitory, meaning in the commodity sector, I think you have seen a pullback, which is very healthy, and I do think that is transitory. But I think on the wage side, that's certainly something that I have been focused on for a while. If you look at um, unit labor costs at 1.7%, you look at the ISM prices paid index, that's the second highest on record. Then we had the non-farm payroll numbers last week. And the last two months, we've seen a definite rise, 0.7% in April, 0.5% last month. Um, and, And just listen to what companies are saying. They can't find people. And when they do find people, they have to pay up for these people. So I think this is certainly something that is top of mind. I do not think this part of, of the inflation is transitory. So it is certainly something that the Fed is watching. And there's no question they're going to taper. It's just a matter of timing. They probably should at this point. Yeah. And speaking of labor, one third of industrial companies, many of which I know you've invested in, actually cited the labor shortage issue uh, during this earnings season, uh, something that Bank of America analyst Andrew Lobin has been pointing out. But two jobs. I mean, it looks like the market interpretation of that May jobs report was that it was weak enough to push back those taper talks uh, from the Fed. It was that your interpretation as well. I mean, it was a solid number, right? It was really a great, great number. And I think what was very encouraging and what what I think is the new theme here in the marketplace is we've seen the renaissance in manufacturing. You know that. I know that. We've seen the PMIs, the ISMs, durable goods. We've seen uh, even a CapEx spending uh, starting to improve. Last week, we got on the manufacturing side record ISM manufacturing. But I think what we're on the cusp of right now, Seema, is really the, the, the shift into services. I think that's really going to take off. And I don't think the earnings have inflected positive yet as a result. We've seen the reopenings. We've seen the recovery stocks do well, but I think earnings are really poised to move much higher. Um, and the reason it's encouraging, services is a lot bigger piece of the economy versus manufacturing. So we're rooting for services to do well. But we've got a lot of data. ISM services hit a record. IHS, the market uh, services PMI hit a high last week. The ADP number had services driven in terms of jobs. And then again, to your point on non-farm payrolls, it was a solid report. And it was led by services. 292,000 jobs were created in services alone. And so I think the report was strong enough. I do still think, though, that the, the, the number one item for the Fed is really going to be inflation and watching what's happening on the wage front. Yeah. And then we have retail sales on Friday as well. Uh, If you look at year to date, the sectors that are just uh, the biggest standout energy. Right. And there was such a head fake over the last couple of years. Investors really losing confidence in that energy trade, saying oil prices at peak. There's no way they'll get back to 80 bucks. But here we are with Brent crude back above 71 dollars. And I'm wondering whether you think this trade has uh, has run out of steam. Is it too late to buy some of the big oil giants that can obviously really capitalize on the higher oil prices we've seen in recent months. Your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I I think the cyclicals and the economically sensitive sectors, which energy is included in that, they remain very attractive because I do think that the operating leverage is very substantial. 
Um, and I think you're right. People did get burned in energy, myself included, by the way. But I am now overweight in energy. I'm kind of taking a barbell approach. I own Chevron because I like the dividend. I love the management and I like their assets. And I also like their M&A strategy. And I have Schlumberger as well. I think it's a hidden gem in technology, right? It's only 13% of total revenue headed up to 20, 25% in the future. So I think you can pick your spots within energy, but I also like financials. I like industrials. I do like the discretionary names and I'm not abandoning secular growth. I'm just more particular because they're not exactly cheap. What do rising oil prices mean for a company like GE, which has seen a stock double in recent months, uh, but is also diversifying its portfolio and really leaning into renewable energy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, Larry Culp is doing a great job in transforming that company. He's shrinking the company to grow, really. And he's focused on healthcare and aviation. The, and they do have exposure, obviously, on the energy side, too. But I like the fact that he's focusing on what's where we're going to see growth going forward. Uh, and I think he's done a very good job. And slowly but surely, he's making small acquisitions to beef up those two areas. And of course, we had the Airbus news last week, right, about increasing production, increasing demand. That's very positive for GE. There one of two engine suppliers to, to Airbus. So there's a lot of good things happening at GE. I own it, so in full disclosure, um, but I do think that the, the restructuring is definitely taking hold, and I think there's a lot more that they can do. Yeah, investors seem to like Culp strategies. Shares are up 28% this year, just at around $14 um, a share. Stephanie, great to see you. Thank you for bringing us uh, your market insight this morning. Stephanie Link. Thank you, Seema. To some of day. You too. To some of this morning's top stories now, the House will start the markup of an infrastructure bill as early as Wednesday. Speaking with CNN yesterday, U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm said, while the president still has a hope for a bipartisan deal, the House will move forward Wednesday with or without their support. This comes as President Biden rejected Republicans' latest proposal for an infrastructure compromise Friday, which fell short of the president's $1.7 trillion target. El Salvador is looking to introduce legislation that will make it to the world's first sovereign nation to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender alongside the U.S. dollar. In a video broadcast of Bitcoin 2021 conference in Miami, El Salvador's president says he plans to partner with a digital wallet company strike to help build out the new infrastructure. He hopes to have the bill passed into law next week. And Tesla canceling plans to produce the Plaid Plus, originally set to be the most expensive version of the company's flagship Model S sedan. In a series of tweets of over the weekend, Elon Musk says he's pulling the plug because the standard Plaid edition is, quote, just so good. Musk had said previously the Plaid Plus would sport 1,100 horsepower, 520 miles of range and go from zero to 60 in less than two seconds. How about that? All right, when we come back, it is back to high seas for one cruise line after a more than 14-month shutdown. Apple kicking off its latest software event this week, what investors can expect. And later, why it's not just Reddit Day traders riding this wild ride in meme stocks. Your 401k could be getting a little bit of activity because of these names. A very busy hour ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Don't go away. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. 
edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Time now for your big money movers. Four stock stories this morning. A group of private equity firms led by Blackstone and Carlisle striking a deal to buy Medline, the family-run medical supply and equipment company. It values Medline at more than $30 billion, making it the largest leveraged buyout since the 2008 financial crisis. Record Benkheiser is selling its baby formula and child nutrition business in China to a local investment firm for $1.3 billion. The company says the deal has an enterprise value of $2.2 billion. The business has suffered sluggish sales in China amid intense competition from local baby formula brands and a slowing birth rate. Apple's annual Worldwide Developers Conference, it kicks off today. Data privacy and security are expected to be the main focus of CEO Tim Cook's keynote. Reports say Apple could show off new features for iOS 15. These include an upgraded home screen for the iPad and new notification settings that change depending on whether the user is working or asleep. Hmm. And Royal Caribbean is setting sail again this summer. The cruise line says eight of its ships will resume U.S. voyages in July and August, with trips leaving from Florida, Texas, and Washington State. All crew members will be vaccinated against COVID-19, and passengers 16 and older on cruises to Alaska will be required to be vaccinated. For other trips, Royal Caribbean says passengers are strongly recommended to get vaccinated. They just had a, uh, a sailing out of St. Martin over the weekend. Still on deck, how Goldman Sachs is throwing some cold water on the idea of wider Bitcoin adoption, especially among institutional investors. Today's big number, 73%. That's how much of global GDP is generated by countries that have said they will cut carbon emissions to zero, according to Bernstein Research. Net Zero pledges now cover eight of the ten largest economies by GDP. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. CNBC and Acorns Invest in New Ready, Set, Grow partnered with the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce to take the financial pulse of the LGBTQ entrepreneurs and learn more about how they manage their personal and business finances. It also looked at specific obstacles they face based on their sexual and gender identity and addressed topics from emergency savings to business succession plans to post-COVID small business confidence. Our Kate Rogers has more. 
Hey there, good morning. We did survey about 2,300 certified LGBTQ enterprises on a variety of topics and got some really interesting responses here. First up, we asked about the Equality Act. The Equality Act is a bill that would protect LGBTQ people from discrimination in housing, education, health care, public accommodations, and more. President Biden has called on Congress to pass that bill. More than one-third of owners said that they did not believe the act would ensure better credit access for their business. We also asked about discrimination. Nearly 60% of owners said that they did not believe their sexual orientation or gender identity would cost them a contract with a new client. Nearly 80% said they did not believe they were ever denied goods or services by vendors due to sexual orientation or gender identity. Overall, about three quarters of the LGBTQ business owners that we surveyed said they're expecting a full recovery for their business in 2022 and beyond. About 40% said that government stimulus would be one of the key factors that would be most important in helping them recover. We're going to have much more on this important topic and survey coming up in Squawk Box in the 7 a.m. hour, so be sure to tune into that. Back over to you. Some eye-opening numbers there from Kate Rogers. Thank you. Let's now get a check on this morning's top headlines. NBC's Philip Manow in New York with the latest with some big news out of Israel. Philip. Hey, good morning, Seema. Yeah, Benjamin Netanyahu's 12-year run as prime minister could be coming to an end this week. His replacement is expected to be his former chief of staff, Naftali Bennett. If the government is confirmed and sworn in, Bennett will serve as prime minister for two years and then turn that role over to centrist Yair Lapid. Netanyahu has called this coalition, quote, the greatest election fraud in the history of democracy. Well, it's the announcement making waves around the world. Harry and Meghan sharing news of the birth of their baby girl. Lilibet Diana Mountbatten-Windsor, named after Princess Diana and the Queen. Buckingham Palace issued a statement congratulating the couple on their little girl, saying they are delighted by the happy news. And another record-setting performance for Simone Biles. The 24-year-old struck gold at the U.S. Gymnastics Championships, winning the all-around title for the seventh straight time. That's the most national titles for a woman in American history. And she is now tied with Alfred Joachim for the record by any American gymnast. Next up for Biles, the Olympic trials in two weeks. And then, of course, Sima after that for the Olympic Games in Tokyo next month. And I'll wait for that. Simone, she's just so talented and at the age of 24. Amazing stuff. Philip, thank you. Mm -hmm. Still to come here on Worldwide Exchange, the G7 tax agreement in the works. We speak with EY's global tax head, Kate Barton, what her clients are saying about this big deal. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We'll be right back. Inflation in focus. Investors awaiting key data this week as the S&P 500 seeks fresh fuel to get back above record highs. Markets also digesting digesting the G7's historic deal over global tax reform. EY's tax chief, Katie Barton, and Punchbowl's News, Anna Palmer, are standing by for what it could mean for multinationals and the political dogfight awaiting this tax plan. Bitcoin looking to bounce back after a one-two punch of increasing crackdowns in China and a Goldman Sachs report showing little love for crypto. It is Monday, June 7, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC.
Hope you're all having a great start to the day. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Here's how stock futures are looking right now as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. hour here in New York. Stocks slightly lower, actually. S&P 500 was down around 15 points when we started the show, now down about eight. Dow Jones lower by seven and the Nasdaq lower by 65. Global investors continue to digest that closely watched non-farm payrolls report in the U.S. coming in weaker than expected at 559,000 versus the consensus of 675,000. That did miss investor expectations, but it also raised uh, less concerns about an imminent Fed tapering. On deck, this week will be Thursday, a big day, the latest read on consumer prices with CPI, hourly earnings and initial claims, all key data points to get investor attention. To some of your morning's top stories right now, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen making the case for higher interest rates, saying it would be good for the U.S. In an interview with Bloomberg on President Joe Biden's $4 trillion spending proposal, Yellen says the president should push forward with the proposal, even if it triggers inflation that persists into next year and higher interest rates. Yellen says policymakers have been fighting inflation and interest rates that have been too low for a decade, adding a call for a normal interest rate environment. Bitcoin is looking to bounce back this morning after falling yesterday on worries of more crackdowns by China. The Chinese social media company Weibo banning several influential cryptocurrency accounts. It is the latest move amid Beijing's pledge to ramp up its crackdown on Bitcoin mining and trading. Bitcoin currently up 1.6 percent. Also this weekend, a note from Goldman Sachs on its survey from 25 chief investment officers showing little love for the cryptocurrency, with it ranking Bitcoin as their least favorite investment. And California giving the green light to the General Motors-backed cruise autonomous vehicle when it comes to giving passengers rides in its prototype robo-taxis under the plan. Cruise may not charge a fee for a ride, and the company will have to submit quarterly reports about the vehicle as well as a passenger safety plan. Cruise plans to start manufacturing its driverless shuttles in early 2023. How about that? Big news overnight, the G7 reaching a historic deal over a global minimum corporate tax rate. The group backing the Biden administration's plan to set a minimum tax rate on earnings around the world at least 15 percent. If fully agreed upon, the move could mean big changes for big tech, a sector often associated with seeking out low tax havens around the world. For more on how this will impact countries and corporations, Kate Barton, vice chair of tax for EY, Anna Palmer, founder of Punchbowl News. Great to have you both on today. And Kate, uh, some crucial questions around whether this tax rate will be agreed upon, if this continues to get more backing from different countries, and also how it will be implemented. What are the conversations happening right now uh, with CEOs and executives at major tech companies? Well, it was certainly big news this weekend, and the headlines of what the G7 decided was that they want a global minimum tax of 15%. They want removal of all of the digital services taxes that have been uh, put on the books in many countries around the world. And then they also want to reallocate more profit to marketing intangibles within a country. So that's big news. So there's a lot to this. So everybody's been talking about it during the weekend. I think that there's excitement. But the devil's in the details. And so there's just a huge ask from get the technical rules written so companies can really understand this. Anna, how do you think this news is being received in Washington? 
Yeah, very mixed response. You know, one of the one things that Republicans really agree upon right now is raising taxes is not a good thing. So is it depends on how this is implemented. But if trade agreements, for instance, have to be rewritten because of the different tax rates, that I think you're going to find a lot of real um, kind of people being against it for Republicans. We've already started to hear that. Some of the major people like Kevin Brady, House Republican from Texas, who's, who's chair or ranking member of that committee has said uh, he's, he is not necessarily in favor of this. So it's not going to necessarily be easy riding for the Biden administration on this. I mean, Kate, we tend to focus on the most powerful, the biggest companies in the U.S., which tend to be technology companies like Apple that do uh, keep a lot of their cash overseas because of that lower tax rate that they're offered in many countries like Ireland. But your thoughts on other sectors that could be impacted by this uh, global tax rate of 15 percent? Well, this will affect all multinationals, whether they're U.S. multinationals, the German multinationals, Swiss multinationals. And so it really is um, all sectors around the world. I think that's something that is often missed. You know, people focus on just the tech companies, but everybody has operations overseas. And this will cause countries to have to lift tax rates from where they are right now. And so the global ramifications of, of this are big. And on the trade side that Anna just mentioned, um, there's a lot of tariffs being implemented from a penal perspective that maybe would get eliminated because digital services taxes, which are quite controversial, would go. That's part of this arrangement as well, part of the communique. And Anna, you think about the countries that could be negatively impacted by this. And really, Ireland is top of mind, right? It has that tax rate of 12.5 percent. I used to be based in London. And a lot of the source meetings we would conduct would actually be in Ireland because some of the big tech companies from Twitter to Facebook were based there. Their biggest executives in Europe were in Ireland. Uh, thoughts on just how countries now across Europe and other parts of the world will, will deal with this new with this new tax rate? It's going to be super interesting to see what happens with Joe Biden going on his first uh, foreign trip here. When you look at this news coming out, how does Ireland, which I think is the best example, which has been very skeptical already over the weekend about what this means for uh, the tax rates and whether they would support it or not. But certainly Joe Biden is going to try to shore up as much support uh, among the G7 and really bring this to fruition. It will be a big deal for him in terms of a win for his foreign policy going forward uh, just out of this first trip. And just to put this in perspective, Ireland's 12.5 percent corporate tax rate has attracted, uh, Kate, 700 U.S. firms over the last couple of years, employs about 160,000 workers. Yes. I mean, it's been part of their tax policy for a long time. They tax the wage earners as opposed to the corporation. Uh, I mean, they, they definitely tax the corporation, but at a lower rate to attract business. So this is all about international competitiveness. Companies want to uh, go to places where it's competitive to set their operations and employ people. You know, one uh, one strategy countries have used, Anna, is this implementation of a digital services tax, uh, France, among other countries. Uh, is the expectation that if this tax rate is implemented, a uh, 15 percent, countries like France will remove that digital services tax imposed on big U.S. companies like Google and Facebook? Yeah, I, I think that's what, you know, a lot of it is going to be with the devil is going to be in the details here. But certainly I think that's why you're seeing early encouraging signs from companies like Facebook publicly saying that they were supportive of this, that they thought, you know, kind of certainty in the marketplace would be good. And that also you could see some of these other countries where they do a lot of business that might be actually more prefer, uh, preferential for them. Uh, Kate, any preliminary analysis on just how this could affect profits? You know, if you're an investor, you own these big tech companies. What does it mean for their bottom line? 
It's going to mean more taxes. And the key is, I think most companies around the world understand paying a single level of tax on their income. But where it gets very difficult is if they have to pay double tax. And so the complexity will be how will countries implement these guidelines? Because remember, these are guidelines and then each country has to enact the law. So this is still a long road ahead, but it is definitely groundbreaking. Long road ahead, Anna. But next uh, meeting that could provide some more um, some some more details on this tax rate. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's going to be happening right now. We are going to start to see what happens with Joe Biden. What are they? What any details that come out with some of these conversations that he has, and then also what happens in terms of how these countries start to actually try to implement this and try to think through what the actual kind of you know implications are for each of their own countries, and then you know also from my perspective in Washington, you're going to see a lot of. Uh, we're going to be focused on what do these companies do? What are they saying publicly? Are they trying to get any changes on the margins of this deal? And where do the tax writing panels go with this? Because it's going to be very contentious. Yeah. And at the same time, you have the White House, Anna, trying to raise the, the domestic corporate tax rate. So uh, clearly tax is top of mind here. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We'll leave the conversation there. Thank you, uh, ladies, for your perspective here on this important issue and big news over the weekend. Kate and Anna, appreciate it. Coming up on Worldwide Exchange, investors zeroed in on the meme stocks dominating the market conversation once again. How you may be a part of the Reddit rally without even knowing it. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. Some technical glitches knocking out some viewers in the lead up to the big boxing match between Floyd Mayweather and Logal Paul. Showtime's pay-per-view service was down for some TV and streaming customers after 8 p.m. Eastern during the undercard fights. The new Conjuring film scaring up big returns at the box office and more people made their return to the theater. The film pulling in just over $24 million in its debut. With last week's winner, A Quiet Place Part 2, dropping to second place. And Tinder will start letting you avoid all your exes, friends, colleagues, relatives, and anyone else you may not want to run into on the dating app. It's also allowing users to block their phone contacts, meaning they won't show up as matches for you to swipe left or right and vice versa. That's big news there. Worldwide Exchange, we're back in two. The roller coaster ride that is AMC and other big meme stocks sending waves through all parts of the market. You may actually have exposure to some of these companies, even if you're not part of the Wall Street Bets crowd on Reddit through various ETFs. Just check this out. The SoFi Social 50, that's the FSFYF, which has more than 12% last week. AMC now accounts for nearly a quarter of the fund from an original allocation of about 5%. AMC and GameStop are also in a number of value-oriented ETFs, including the iShares Russell 2000 Value Fund, now among the biggest components of that ETF. Let's talk a bit more about the outsized influence of these social media-driven stocks that they're having on the market. Larry McDonald, editor of the Bear Trap Support and a CNBC contributor. Larry, it's good to see you. It's been a while. Uh, your thoughts on, on AMC, GameStop, and, and the effect it's having on these certain ETFs, once a small component, now for some of these funds, the largest component. Yeah, you, yeah, you make a great point. I mean, we saw this in January and February. At one point, the XRT, which is the largest retail ETF, went from like a 1% holding in these stocks to almost a 20, 20% holding. So it's distorting the passive universe. Those are a lot of ETFs are supposed to be passive, but um, when you have 
market capitalization that grows quickly, uh, the ETFs cannot recalibrate and uh, you have a massive, massive distortions. It's a great point. And do you expect these ETFs, I mean, every quarter they rebound, so there's a chance that they, they take these stocks out. Do you think that could happen this time around? Well, we saw some type of rebalancing with the XRT. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure, I mean, if you're on the board of one of these uh, passive ETFs, you have to make a move because if you just look at AMC in the, from the credit market versus the equity market, and this shows you the distortion, in 2019, okay, the bonds were trading at 96, so 96% of par, and the stock was $9, okay? Um, last week, the bonds were down at 80 cents in the dollar, 12% yield, 12% yield, okay? This is real junk, but the stock was 40 to 50 to 60. So uh, it just shows you that if you're running one of these uh, passive ETFs um, and you see that type of distortion where the credit markets are saying, this is trouble, and the equity markets are just, you know, in speculative la la land. Uh, then you you got to make you got to do something. Yeah, interesting. What that right? I mean, last week the stock was up a hundred percent despite uh, a number of stock sales. There was that to Madrid Capital, then the eleven point five million shares sold to the public market for five hundred eighty-seven million dollars. Yet the stock continued to run up. Why do you think that is? And actually, I mean, do you think some of the money, the, the expectation actually is that some of the money they raised through these stock sales will be used to, to bring down its debt? So that should improve its credit position, too, I imagine. Yeah, it's um, it's it's weird. My whole career, the credit markets have always led equities. In other words, when you see when credit mar- markets are saying one thing, uh, that's typically a phenomenal leading indicator. Uh, but in recent years, when the you know the Fed is not allowing the business cycle to function over longer and longer and longer periods of time, what happens is the um, the cleansing process of the business cycle and credit markets gets someone eliminated. And normally, um, the, the cleansing process would correct you know bad companies and and uh, take out the bad ones and 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 the strong survive. But when you don't allow the business cycle to function over longer and longer and longer periods of time, and that's what we've been doing the last uh, three, four years, then um, you're exactly right. Then all of a sudden, a company that should have gone bankrupt um, can raise capital, keep raising capital, mm-hmm. and the credit environment actually improves. <laughs> right. And, you know, to to uh, CEO Adam Aaron's credit, he's been able to ride this sort of momentum and the intense investor enthusiasm around the stock. Yet, even with all of that, Wall Street analysts remain cautious. Wedbush Securities on Friday saying $10, that's their price target. AMC currently trading at $48 a share. I'm wondering, uh, given how closely you follow the bond market, where do you think this stock should trade at? Well, we saw this in February, January, February, where credit markets were saying one thing, and these stocks were way up in the heavens, and they, then they had a 70% drawdown. So for investors watching us right now, the credit markets were right in January and February. They were telling you that there was a big drawdown coming, and then we had a 70% drawdown. Now we're back up. So if I'm a younger investor, play, it's okay. listen, if you want to speculate and ride the wave, that's fine. Have a stop loss and just uh, make sure you take half of your gains off the table. That reduces your downside. And um, you, you really shouldn't be in these plays because it, it's extremely speculative. You can get wiped out overnight. But um, if you have to, just make sure you, you're managing risk the best you can. Understood. Quick word on broader markets, Larry. Correlation between these meme stocks and what it means for the broader averages? Well, you know, what's weird is since, you know, the last six months, we've had the soft bank whale blew up. 
then Archegos blew up, then the Robin Hood crowd, this blew up in February. And so we've had these deleveraging uh, incidents that have then transformed the market into a real deleveraging. I mean, ARK ETF, the ARK stocks were down 40, 50% Tesla. So there's been like a stealth deleveraging going on. And now this meme environment is, is actually bringing some of that leverage back out of the system, whereas it's been coming, sorry, back into the system. It's been coming out for like the last two, three months. So uh, I, I don't think it's sustainable. You know, we're at a very strange part of the year where, you know, sell in May, go away, now we're into June. So, um, you know, I, I just be very cautious. I just, once again, commodities, I think, will outperform because with the with this new tax mm-hmm. deal globally, uh, you're going to just see a, a move into value names and commodities. So so get, be overweight commodity equities and, and kind of reduce exposure to the speculative side. And with the energy sector up 45%, you could argue that has already been a winning trade, cyclical and commodity-driven sectors. Larry, thank you for joining us today. Larry McDonald, appreciate your Thanks, time. Thanks, Bean. Thanks, Seema. On deck, stocks in a holding pattern ahead of key inflation data. Matrix Assets' David Katz lays out what investors need to be watching this trading week. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on all major podcast platforms. And June is Pride Month. All month long, we'll be spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, and our own CNBC anchors and producers. Here is CNBC's Patrick Manning. I credit a lot of my success to the fact that I am LGBTQ. Once I fully came out and was living truly who I am, I felt a tremendous weight lifted off my shoulders. And I started to notice that that's when I really started to succeed in my career. It also led to a lot of very dear friendships and relationships within the LGBTQ journalism community. And that led me down many paths that I otherwise may not have discovered. Welcome back. Some upgrades and downgrades to tell you about. Starting with Piper Sandler upgrading Visa to overweight, saying it expects the company to benefit from uh, more of a vaccine-driven U.S. recovery than rival MasterCard. Visa uh, is raising, uh, Piper is raising its price target on Visa to 260 from 234 a share. Loop initiating coverage of Peloton with a buy rating at $140 price target. It says while it expects some impact from voluntary recalls of its treadmills, it still expects the impact to be limited. And Morgan Stanley downgrading progressive. It says people are driving again at pre-COVID levels, which means more accident frequency is putting its price target at $85 a share. Stock currently trading at 98 Back to the broader markets. Futures slightly lower right now. The Nasdaq leading us lower by 63 points. As we've been talking about, a retail sales number coming out this Friday, but a big week for inflation. Latest read on consumer prices set to be released on Thursday with CPI numbers. For more on this and what to expect, I'm joined by David Katz, Matrix Asset Advisors, Chief Investment Officer. David, pleasure to have you on this morning. Listen, whether you look at oil or the price of lumber, inflation is certainly showing, but it really hasn't showed up in the broader market. Sure, we've seen some intraday swings and a bit more volatility in the market, but at the end of the day, the S&P 500 is trading in record high territory. So I guess the question is, are these inflation concerns justified? Uh, or do you think at some point it will show up in this market? And if so, when? We think for the near term, the concerns definitely are justified. We think inflation is taking up more than people expect. 
But we do think that more likely than not, it is going to be transitory and the market's going to be able to roll through it. We think short term, you're going to have volatility. There will be another bad inflation number or two bad inflation numbers and the market might sell off. But we think ultimately uh, inflation will start to drift a little bit lower and the Fed is going to be able to maintain its current stance for a while. We're expecting some movement on infrastructure this week uh, as White House, the White House pushes forward with an infrastructure bill. Still questions around how it's going to be paid for. But your thoughts on an increase in uh, spending on infrastructure, how that could change the inflation story, if at all? Well, we think it's going to feed on the inflation story. Uh, again, a bigger deficit, uh, more borrowing, more spending, uh, bad for pricing. So we think there definitely is going to be an uptrend in inflation over the next few years. At the moment, we still think it's going to be manageable. We think the positives associated with a better economy, with interest rates still pretty low, outweigh the concerns about inflation. So you want to be aware of it, but we don't think you want to change your investment strategy based on it now. Interesting, because you do have a diversified portfolio just looking at some of your top holdings, whether it's technology or industrial. So based on what we get from the White House this week on infrastructure, would you be a buyer or a seller of some of these construction heavy equipment companies like Deere to Caterpillar that have already priced in the prospect of an infrastructure bill? That's exactly the point. They've already priced in a lot of the things that are going on. So what we would do is take a step back from the market, look at companies on a fundamental and valuation basis. Don't get caught up in the trend of the day. What you've seen in the last six months is a lot of things that didn't participate in the 2020 rally are participating this year. Value is now outpacing growth in a very meaningful way. Uh, we think certain rotations like that are going to continue. Financials have been doing well. We think they're going to continue. Energy has been doing well. We think that's going to continue. Then there are certain groups that have not done anything yet. We think that's going to be the next leg. Uh, so companies like the drug companies and the medical products we think are going to do better. Media companies have done poorly. We think that's going to pick up. So we'd make it less than a, a, a top-down look. Okay, there's going to be more spending. Let's buy those stocks. But rather... Look at companies on a fundamental basis. If you can buy a good company at 14 times earnings, you're more likely than not going to do pretty well with that. And there are lots of very good businesses out there that have not got caught up in the mania that are at very attractive prices that we think that's the best place to put new money. I hear you on financials and healthcare. Uh, Kathy Wood over the weekend uh, talking about how this bull market is alive and well. And she says, as you would expect, to invest in the companies that are really making innovation uh, a central part of their strategy. Uh, overnight, Tesla is said is canceling plans to produce the Plaid Plus, originally set to be released earlier. That was a tweet from Elon Musk. And I'm just wondering whether you think Tesla is a stock you want to invest in now, given the big sell-off we've seen over the last three months. Tesla is a great company, but even though the stock has sold off a lot in the last three months, it's still up huge over the last year. So we still think it's at a pretty rich valuation. Today's announcement is a modest setback, but a normal part of business. So we don't think that should change your outlook on Tesla, but we do think the stock is fully valued. And they're going from little competition to everybody in the uh, automotive world competing on electric cars. So we think that's going to slow down their market valuation. We still think it's a great growth company, but we think the stock is still richly priced. Interesting that the Financial Times, their top story this morning, David, investors cash in on dividend stocks and how that is the place to put your money. Hasn't that trade already worked this year? Uh, it's starting to work. Dividend stocks were miserable last year. They were down 2%. The S&P was up 18%. So there's a lot of catch up. They finally have started to do better. We think it probably has another 12 to 24 months. Uh, if you're getting zero in a money market right now, 
uh, and you're getting less than 1% on bonds, we think getting 3 to 3.5% 3 on dividend-paying stocks that are growing over time is a great place to put money. We think that's one of the next opportunities in the market. All right, we'll leave it there. David, thanks for bringing us your thanks. latest thoughts on the market. David Katz. With the Nasdaq currently down 67 points in pre-market trade, that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Thank you for joining me. I'm Seema Modi. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.